everyone, and welcome to Chapter Brothers. My name is Nick Ackerman. And my name is Kevin Ackerman. All right, and today we're going to continue on with uh, the drawing of the three um, in the Eddie Dean chapter. We're, we're going to finish this one today, right? Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully yeah, we don't got... get, get to talking too much, but... Exactly, <laughs> yeah. We've, we've gotten to learn a little bit more about our friend Eddie, yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, let's see. The, I think it'll last... Bef- in the... Before, sure, before yeah. we do that, it's time for the Stephen King trivia! dum da 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 so, Kevin, I'm just going to the next book. And actually, I know nothing about this book. I didn't have enough time to look at the summary and the plot, and I don't want to uh, spoil it for those readers who haven't read it. Gotcha. So, Gee, last no time we talked about the, the Dead Zone? Was that what it's called? I believe so, yes. Dead Zone, uh, yeah. Christopher Walken and uh, that whole thing, yeah. Do you remember which year that book came out? Oh, God, no idea. I'm going to say, as a guess, uh, 79? 79. You're 100% correct. The year of Liz, Liz, Mm -hmm. my wife. (laughs) And now we move into the year of Nick, 1980. 1980. (laughs) But this this book was published uh, September of 1980. Do you know the next one? Ooh, uh, let's see. I, I don't even know any hints to give you. Usually, I have hints. <laughs> oh. Do you have the the cover illustration at least? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can do that for you. It gives it away. <laughs> oh. uh, let's see. Um, let's just say that there's uh, uh, there's fire involved. Firestarter. <laughs> Firestarter. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Firestarter. So this is what I was going to show you. Mm. <laughs> I was like, well, that's the name of the book. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah, I know. Now, let's now a major see. motion picture. Indeed. Uh, twice over. Uh, I think there was uh, like a Peacock show, Firestarter as well, or maybe it was sci-fi. But um, let's you, see. You know, what I sh- you know what I should have said was um, uh, Trash Can Man. That would, that oh, would there you go. A, a He's hint. a Firestarter. Exactly. <laughs> that would have been a good hint. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, that, I haven't read this one either. Uh, all I know is that I'm pretty sure, uh, let's see, Drew Barrymore played her in the first adaptation, um, as this little girl who can start fires with her mind and... Oh, okay, uh, now I know yeah. this movie. So this is Drew Barrymore when she was a child, like right after E.T.? Correct, this is E.T. Yeah. era, Drew Barrymore, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that, what else, there's this, like, shadowy government organization or quasi-government organization that's, like, gathering all these people with, like, powers and whatnot. Uh, I'm not sure if she was created by this organization or if she was just found, but... Yeah, that's the limit of now what I've sounds, got. It sounds like Stranger Things a little bit. I was going to say Heroes a little bit, too. but oh, uh, Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> well, I was thinking Eleven. Kind of. mm-hmm. huh. I think that's exactly what they were thinking when they made Stranger Things. Like, uh, yeah, could have been. I, I don't know Firestarter well, but that was the next one. It's 1980. That's true. Year of 1980. Now. Yeah. Yeah, now we get into the Stephen King starts cranking them out era when there's like... 
a whole One bunch a of books in a row. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's much less of he, he goes out of the starving artist, uh, you know, teacher trying to make a book. And now he becomes like world famous author Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he had made The Shining, The Stand, Carrie. Exactly. Point, yeah. You know, like, he went, was, yeah, like, he went through his. Exactly. <laughs> he went through his Jim Carrey in 1993. And now now he's in the after after that phase uh, when Jim Carrey had... <laughs> what did you just say? Jim uh, Carrey? Jim Carrey, in the same year, the very same year, had The Mask, the Mask, Dumb and Dumber, and Ace Ventura, all in the same year. So that was the... That's what I consider, like, when you, like, when you have, like, all of your, like, greatest hits all happen, like, right away in this one point. Uh, and, and, well, you also make a crap ton of money all of a sudden. Exactly. Like, what do I do with this now? Do I be like because that's also when Jim Carrey like started be like, well, maybe I should be a serious actor. True. Enough money. Ninety four. You know, I, I was incorrect. Did I? I, I, I think I said ninety three, but yeah, it's yeah, nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Freshman year of high school, and mm. I remember seeing all three of those movies mm. in the theater. <laughs> yeah. They they it's put them on the map. Movie yeah. tickets were cheaper, and the, the, that's for sure. The Williams uh, Center was. Uh, Full of cockroaches and sticky, you know. Very sticky floor on the, the Williams Center and in our uh, hometown, yeah. But uh, hey, they've been doing a lot of renovations to it, so it's been uh, getting better. Nice, the Rivoli. Um, well, why is it called the Williams Center, Kevin? Because Just William to... Carlos Williams, uh, the uh, poet, was originally from Rutherford, New Jersey. There you go. Wrote the little red Williams. wheelbarrow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. was it the, there's a poem about that he left for his wife about how he ate all the cherries out of the ice box <laughs> I, I had a dream one night it was weird but it was William Carlos Williams and Billy D. Williams hanging out so it was like nice <laughs> William C. Williams and William D. Williams but eh, Billy right. D. and Billy C. nice <laughs> <laughs> do you know what Billy D. what the D. stands for I do not what does it stand for uh, December. Really? That is an interesting yeah. middle name. William huh. December Williams. And, that, and William Carlos Williams. There you go. Mm, true. Anyway, this, anyway, we have gone far afield. Let's come back. Let's to go back. The, the drawing of the three. Um, Indeed. Back so, to our, so our friend Stephen King. Yeah. So last time we were talking about how. It was kind of the, um, uh, what do we call it, uh, being John Malkovich aspect and like yes. um, quantum inside aspects of things. Exactly. Like he, he's inside somebody else's body. He's looking around and there are, it, it's both, he can kind of watch as un, unobserved, like sort of like hiding in the background of Eddie's mind, but then he can also push to the front, as he calls it, and then take over Eddie's body and like do things and say things and ask that, for I a tuna sandwich. Yeah. That, that's what this whole section is about today. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we talked about in the past uh, third person limited, and, and this is where the point of view goes to third person like objective. Like you can actually see other people's points of view. Well, I feel like it's almost more in the case of it's just testing the limits of that third person limited. And it's like, not only is it Roland's perspective, but it's also Roland is seeing Eddie's perspective. So we're also, we're getting the third person of the third person. Oh, this is, uh, (laughs) 
It's a lot. Yeah. Like, it's like, a lot. Like, it yeah. was tough for me. Like, as I was reading, I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Like, and, mm. but it's, it's Stephen King slowly saying, like, this is how this works. Exactly. I'm building this, this world, and there's certain things that people can do, but I need you as the reader to understand how they work. You know? Exactly. Yeah, I feel like um, if if the last uh, episode wasn't titled Experiments, then this one has to be, because <laughs> it's Roland, like, he's using the scientific method. He's figuring things so, out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh my so. Alright, so we're at number six, right? Um, number six, Subsection yeah. six in the Eddie Dean chapter. <clears throat> Correct. You know, I'm just going to go. Nerves. The the great oracle and eminent junkie assured him. Just nerves. All part of the cool turkey experience, little brother. But if nerves was what it was, how come he felt this odd sleepiness stealing over him? Odd because he should have been itchy, ditzy, feeling that urge to squirm and scratch that came before the actual shakes. Even if he had not been in Henry's cool turkey state, there was the fact that he was about to attempt bringing two pounds of coke through U.S. customs, a felony punishable by not less than ten years in federal prison, and he seemed to suddenly be having blackouts as well. Still, that feeling of sleepiness, he sipped at his drink again, then his eyes slipped shut. Why'd you black out? I didn't, or she'd be running for all the emergency gear that they carry. Blanked out, then. It's no good either way. You never blanked out like that before in your life. Nodded out, yeah, but never blanked out. So, what what do you think? So, I feel like so far we know that Eddie is aware that something's going on. That Mm -hmm. he can sort of feel Roland in his head, but he doesn't know the words to know that that's what it is. Like... I know the whole the blackouts are definitely when Roland is taking over, but the sleepiness that I I, I noticed for the first time in this re- reread uh, that I'm wondering if that's sort of like Eddie feeling like, you know, he's tired because maybe Roland is using some of his mental energy or else mm. maybe. Um, I, I think it mostly has to do with him um, coming down off of heroin, you know, possible. But uh, the next sentence that I I was hoping you would read, it says something odd about his right hand, too. It seemed to throb vaguely as if he had pounded it with a hammer. So with that sentence, I think what's happening is Eddie is starting to feel some of what Roland's body is feeling. Like he's feeling the tiredness of being, you know, uh, having this infection. And he's feeling the throbbingness of uh, Roland's losing his fingers and feeling that sort of infection running through him. Yeah, so it's not just uh, Roland being able to see what he sees, but actually they can feel what each other feels and stuff. Exactly. Is Roland yeah. also like experiencing like the the heroin kind of withdrawal? Oh, uh, we I haven't seen happens. it yet. Huh? We might feel see that later on. Uh, yeah, but let's but, go but on. Yeah, the fingers, the fingers are missing. Exactly. Yeah, Roland's missing his uh, index and his uh, middle finger of his right hand. So yep. let's see. So Blue to continue. Bombardier's eyes. I, I just Blue Bombardier's to... eyes. Love it. Because <laughs> we can't read every paragraph. This isn't yeah. an audiobook. <laughs> very true. Very true. So I will. But, but he so... compares also. Wait, I, I was. Um, yeah, go ahead. The way that Roland's eyes. Blue Bombardier's and uh, the color of denim, right? Yes. And, and I think there's another comparison later on. <laughs> uh, let's see. The. Oh, no, 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 never mind. Um, yeah, we'll I saw the word blue later on, and it was a, a different thing. 
But, um, yeah, so definitely we've established that Roland's eyes change color. I mean, Eddie's eyes change color when Roland comes to the front. So there Mm -hmm. are physical manifestations of Roland taking over as well. What color are Eddie's eyes? Hazel. Hazel. So So sort of a greenish brown, yeah. (laughs) What color are your eyes, Kev? I think sort of a bluish gray, I feel like. Mm. Yeah, I guess ours are kind of the same-ish. More or less the same. Yours are a little lighter than mine, I think. <laughs> I think mine are, like, greenish? I don't know what to call them. Blue, I guess. But not, like, mm. bright blue. It's like a dusty blue, sort of. True. Yes, for our, for all all of our listeners, uh, Nick and I just leaned with our eyeballs as close as we could to our Zoom cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Get it right up into the webcam. Right up in the lens, yeah. <laughs> so, That's not even a thing anymore, webcams. Yeah. I'm, I'm so old. Like, no, it's just... It's know, true. The, the monitors just come with the cameras built in these days, yeah. yeah it's pretty, pretty awesome, you know. Remember when Netscape was like the only way you could go on the internet? Yeah, uh, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the old uh, <laughs> Mac computers that they had uh, in grammar school and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> mm hmm. Uh, but yeah. I, yeah. anyway, in any case, so the, the next thing that I want to read is basically an extended. Um, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that doesn't come in yet. Okay. So. The next thing that I want to read is uh, just a little bit of more characterization of Eddie's brother, Henry. So as as Eddie is going through and he's like trying to figure out like what's going on with him, uh, Henry's face drifted by him like an untethered balloon. Don't worry, Eddie was saying. You'll be all right, little brother. You fly down there to Nassau, check in at the Aquinas. There'll be a man come Friday night. One of the good guys. He'll fix you, leave you enough stuff to take you through the weekend. Sunday night, he brings you the Coke, and you give him the key to the safe deposit box. Monday morning, you do the routine, like Balazar said. This guy will play. He knows how it's supposed to go. Monday noon, you fly out, and with a face as honest as yours, you'll breeze right through, Customs, and we'll be eating steak and sparks before the sun goes down. It's gonna be a breeze, little brother. Nothing but a cool breeze. So <laughs> I, I feel lo- like I love your Howard voice. It's <laughs> Henry. Oh, Henry. Henry. Sorry, yeah. Nicholas. But Henry. Henry. True. Yeah. Definitely Henry an Dean. Asian. Henry Dean. Yeah. The Henry Dean Stanton. Uh, who was what made me think of, uh, or possibly Henry Dean Morgan. (laughs) I was also thinking that, um, who was that politician? Was it Howard Dean? Howard Dean. That's (laughs) We're going to go to West Virginia and then to Colorado. And it's like, whoa, (laughs) you're not going to get elected to anything. You're you're out of control. Just like Henry Dean is, Sort of, like, it's cool, man. It'll be fine. Like, how many people have you met like that in your life? Oh, yeah, so many who are just like, don't worry about it. It'll work itself out. No, it won't. You have to think about the steps. (laughs) This is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, So, anyway, the the things he has to do is go there, get the Coke, and give them the key to a safe deposit box. Correct. Right? Okay. Uh, so and al- Bal- also, Balazar? I just wanted to, yeah, Balazar is the person who is. Let's see, Monday morning you'll do the routine just like Balazar said. So he seems to be the one orchestrating this whole situation. 
Um, and yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that Henry is definitely the king of manipulating his little brother. Mm. And that seems to be like, that's another good theme for this chapter is manipulation. manipulation. Mm. Oh yeah. Ooh, I like that better. Yeah. (laughs) Cause there's two, there's the two different, uh, meanings as well. Not only is not only is Roland manipulating Eddie's body, but Eddie is being Eddie's mind is being manipulated by Henry, by his brother. Yes. Oh my gosh. Mm. Yeah, I like it. Love wordplay. (laughs) But (laughs) in any case, so yes, so uh, but it had not been a warm breeze after all. The trouble with him and Henry was that they were like Charlie Brown and Lucy. The only difference was, once in a while, Henry would hold on to the football so Eddie could kick it. Not often, but once in a while. Eddie had even thought in one of those heroin days is he ought to write Charles Schultz a letter. And he goes on to like read out this whole letter of like, you basically say, that would really fuck the kid up, wouldn't it? Eddie knew from experience uh, uh, it would really fuck the kid up. So, definitely, okay. it's... It, yeah, go ahead. I, I wanted to talk about this section a lot because mm-hmm. uh, a it's a great pop culture reference, you know. Exactly, Ch- gotta love this. Is gotta love peanuts, back, like, yeah. Hey Jude, and like you know, certain things are like now we know the time period that's going on. Um, but this always angered me as a kid. Um, the reading Lucy peanuts. pulling up the football, yeah. Every time I'm like, every time let him let him kick it once, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, See, I saw a guy. I saw a guy with a T-shirt. It was pretty funny. It was you know uh, Lucy holding the football and Charlie Brown getting set up to you know kick it, and in a in like a word bubble it said, "Can I kick it?" And and yes, Lucy can. says, "Yes, you can." <laughs> Beastie Boys. Beastie Boys. Nice. <laughs> mm. I was gonna say. I feel like there. That's such a. Uh, such a universal sibling experience that there is the oldest, like, particularly when there's, like, smaller families, I would say, that there's the older sibling who just knows exactly how to, like, manipulate and use their younger brother to get what they want, and the younger brother is just so eager to be just like, yeah, sure, oh, yeah, I'll do whatever you want, yeah. And I feel like... So I, I, I really related with Eddie as I was reading this because I was that younger brother. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't Matt want to say it. I feel I felt like of, I should let you say it. Yeah. Oh, but it, it totally made me think of me the whole time. I'm like, yeah. oh, I was that guy. It's like, oh, do this thing. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And I love Matt and Pete. They're wonderful people and have children of their own. They're doing a great job. Um, but when I was a kid, it was like, Nick, do this for us because we're older than you. But you know, this is also when we're like little kids, like single yeah. digit ages, you know, exactly. it didn't get to the point where it was like, Nick, uh, can you be a mule for this cocaine across the border? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, that's no, the hard Pete. edge. Yeah. No, I will not. <laughs> <laughs> not that. Yeah. That was never a question, but I'm just like, like re- relating it to this book and stuff. I'm like, okay. They made me do things as a kid, but they were like silly things. not like, yeah illegal things no it was like hey uh, run across the the street where that scary dog is real quick and see if you could get back get past it before we can <laughs> yeah i don't want to i was like all right sure <laughs> somebody's got to go across first i guess <laughs> <laughs> all right so anyway um now so in my book kevin you've got to get one of these plume editions 
Oh, I know. I, I've seen those editions in the library. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. So right now, I'm showing Kevin the picture on the next page, and it's really from a, a couple. I don't know. Is, is it present time? I think that's, it's. Uh, that's right. I think they. Yeah, I think they. For that edition, the illustrations come a little bit after they occur in the story. So I think this is when Roland is kind of figuring stuff out and he's bandaged up his uh, amputated fingers. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it was exactly everything that happened in our last episode, pretty much. Uh, is right. him just like, what's happening on the beach right now? I've got bandaged fingers. I'm trying to figure things out. I've got some bullets that are wet and some that are dry, you know. Anyway, but I, I just think the straight, yes. The, the illustrations are beautiful. They're really oh, they're nice. gorgeous, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, props to... Uh, what's the illustrator's name again? So, it's different in this one, I think. Oh, yeah. This one's illustrated by Phil Hale. Phil, Phil Hale. Hale. All right. Yeah, it was Michael Whelan in the last one, and now it's... Or Whalen, but now it's Phil Hale. And it was the same aesthetic, but... Yeah, definitely. It, it feels yeah, it just, like it's the same kind of style, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have the key? Where, where am I up to? Uh, yeah, do you have there? the key. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, basically, he meets uh, this guy, uh, what he considers uh, a sallow-skinned thing with a British accent, a hairline mustache that looked like something out of a 1940s film noir, and yellow teeth that all leaned inward, like uh, the teeth of an old animal trap. So, that does that mean, like, somebody was on a pacifier for too long, if their teeth go inward? I don't know. Hmm. Or is that some sort of a drug thing? I think it's some sort of a drug thing. Is that we're t- we're talking about the uh, yellow eyes or yellow teeth and um, hmm. film noir? What, what, explain that to me, Kevin. Uh, sort of uh, like noir um, means dark, like a dark yeah. film. Like, so yeah, in the forties, the there usually. were yeah in the forties there were a lot of like old uh, detective movies where it would be sort of a, a private eye who was going on some sort of an investigation, and usually there would be a femme fatale who was either the person who first came in uh, asking for help, or possibly the person who he was first investigating. Who either way, that person's probably going to seduce some. Somebody, whether it's the detective or somebody else and then like, it turns into um, a whole thing Humphrey Bogart Humphrey Bogart definitely uh, Double Indemnity is a great example okay. uh, yeah and it got that term because when the those movies started getting uh, exported to France and uh, the French audience saw it uh, they called it film noir just because of how much of the screen is black at all times and it was so dark ah. so yeah these are just the the dark films, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Pinot Noir. Like, exactly. Uh, a wine. Meanwhile, yeah. when I see somebody with a really uh, thin pencil mustache, I just think of uh, John Waters. Yes, that's yeah. who I think of. But whenever I hear the term pencil-thin mustache, I think of Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> oh, which song is that? It's called Pencil Thins. I wish I had a pencil thin bust. Something like that. No, I don't know that one. All I know is Margaritaville. (laughs) That's... uh, Rest in peace, Jimmy Buff. Um, (laughs) Okay. Is John Waters still with us? I think so. I think he just got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. 
just you should have had one years ago. Should have, yes, I mean, definitely. <laughs> I think C three yeah, PO has it. Yeah, okay. How old is John Waters right now? He is seventy-seven. Yeah, we are dating this episode, everyone. Correct. <laughs> anyway, we're <laughs> along. Um, you have the key, Senor. He asked, except in that British public school accent, it came out some, sounding something like. What you called your last year of high school. Oh, I see. Mm. I had to read that. The, yeah, s- senior. Senior? Yeah. Ah. Key's safe, Eddie said. If that's what you mean, then give it to me. Wait, I shouldn't be saying this in, like, Spanish accent. It's, it's yeah, no, British... this is a this is a lower-class British accent, yeah. Then give it to me. Like, like a, a cockney, Connor? Uh, hmm. No, that's too far. <laughs> Let's see. That's a good low class British accent. Give it to me. Hey. Uh, anyway, I'm just yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Let's, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll do it as my own. Exactly. Yeah, you can just. That's not the way it goes. You're supposed to have something to take me through the weekend. Sunday night, you're supposed to bring me something. I give you the key Monday. You go into town. Used to get something else. I don't know what, because that's not my business. Suddenly, there was a small, flat, blue automatic in the sallow-skinned thing's hand. Why don't you? Why don't you just give it to me, Senor? Senor, I will save time and effort. You will have saved your life. There was a deep steel in Eddie Dean, junkie or no junkie. Henry knew it. More important, Balazar knew it. That was why he had been sent. Most of them thought he had gone because he was. Because he was hooked through the bag and back again. He knew it. Henry knew it. Balazar knew it. But only he and Henry knew he would have gone, even if he was as straight as a steak. For Henry, Balazar hadn't quite, sorry, hadn't got quite that far in his figuring, but fuck Balazar. Why don't you just put that thing away, you little scuzz? Eddie asked. Or do you maybe want Balazar to send someone down here and cut your eyes out of your head with a rusty knife? Sal Thing smiled. The gun was gone like magic. In its place was a small envelope. He handed it to Eddie. <laughs> Just a little joke, you know? If you say so. I'll see you Sunday night. He turned the door. I think you better wait. The Sal Thing turned back, eyebrows raised. You think I won't go if I want to go? I think if you go and this is bad shit, I'll be gone tomorrow. Then you'll be in deep shit. The sallow thing turned sulky and sat in the room's single easy chair while Eddie opened the envelope and spilled out a small quantity of brown stuff. It looked evil. He looked at the sallow thing. I know how it looks. It looks like shit. But that's just the cut, the sallow thing said. It's fine. Eddie tore a sheet of paper from the from the notepad on the desk and separated a small amount of the brown powder from the pile. He fingered it and then rubbed it on the roof of his mouth. A second later, he spat into the wastebasket. You want to die? Is that it? You got a death wish? It's all there is. The sallow thing looked more sulky than ever. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Yeah. I, I've read too much. <laughs> okay. But like, I want to just keep reading this aloud with you. Mm-hmm. 
It's true. Well, it's. I feel like the whole point of this scene is just seeing how much of that steel that they're talking about that Eddie has, that he's mm. got this self-assuredness when he's going through with this guy that he's like, no, 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 no. First off, that's not, I don't give you the key now. I get, First, you give me some heroin, and then mm-hmm. uh, I'll give you the key on Sunday. Then, when you, you give me the coke from the safety deposit box, and then we'll go move forward from there. So then and also like a he doesn't give him the key right away b he also makes him stop and wait because eddie had a feeling that it was he was going to give him like this terrible heroin that seems to be i guess brown is bad i don't know uh but and then uh, like from, from what i i know i think all heroin is brown well oh really yeah, I, I, I've never done heroin, everyone. <laughs> but um, I did see it once. And I was like, I'm leaving. Mm. <laughs> I straight up just left the, the place Good I saw. Good call. Good call. <laughs> it was like, it's the same way I feel when like someone takes a gun out. It's like, oh, yeah. As soon as I'm a gun enters the gun, I'm going yeah. to walk away from the situation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I do not need to be at a party where either like hard drugs or a gun or somebody pulls a knife out or something because it just means a somebody's trying to be impressive and is likely to do something dangerous and B or it just means that things are about to get way, way worse. <laughs> yeah. Like it. I don't like to think about the word like bad people, but sometimes there are people who are just kind of bad, like, and and they think that everyone else is bad, so they're protecting themselves with their guns and their drugs and stuff. Like, eh. it's rough. eh. Yeah, yeah. Kevin, have you ever lost a friend to uh, heroin overdose or any type of Uh, overdose? Not a close friend. I know there was a guy from high school who I knew who I think died of a heroin overdose. Uh, I don't want to say his name here just in case. But no, no, no. Yeah. I, I agree. I'm not going to say any names, but there's unfortunately been a number of friends who have lost uh, because of this. Good people, mm. you know, yeah. who, who get stuck down a bad road. Yeah, you know? definitely. And a lot of the time, you know, it's... It is a slippery slope that, uh, you know, addiction just grabs a hold of you and uh, like you might not necessarily be a bad person for doing like heroin or whatever. But a lot of the time you get lured into it by bad people. I feel like that. Yeah. yeah. Like you think it's cool and then it's wait, these people aren't cool. Yeah. The coolest people are the nerdy people who I hope we're talking to right now. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) That's the only people who will be listening to our podcast are nerdy people. People reading books and listening to podcasts. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We're the cool ones. (laughs) We are the cool ones. So I was talking to my students about this the other day. Um, What did I say? Um, I was like, yeah, in high school, I was, believe it or not, like an athlete. Like I, I did sports and stuff. So I was like a jock. But at the same time, I was in, like, AP classes, and, like, I, I made friends with the nerds or whatever. And I was friends with everybody, whatever. And I you was were, like, yeah. what do you call it? A jock nerd? A, a, a knock? A, a jerk? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like sport jocks is its own. I mean, I mean, sport nerds is its own thing, because I feel like, like, well, I mean. That's true, too. 
Yeah, I feel like uh, you, Dennis, and Matt, I feel like are the most like like sport nerds, I would say. But well, I feel like you and Matt are like opposite ends of the nerds jock spectrum. Like, I feel like you are a a jock who was secretly a nerd and Matt was a nerd who loved sports stuff. So it was like, yeah, opposite uh, ends of the spectrum there. Whereas I feel like Dennis was exactly in the middle. Statistics guy. Exactly. Matt was all about stats, strategy, and, uh, you know, getting a game-winning home run based on uh, a batting out of order. And therefore, he wins the game on a technicality. But hey, uh, a win is a win. Yeah. Oh. I, I coached with Matt for many years, and it was so much fun. Like, oh, his, yeah. His mind is wonderful when it comes to the game of baseball. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There's so, like, that's one of the things that I always feel the need to defend baseball, even though I never really liked baseball growing up. But when I see, like, uh, people talk about, like, oh, baseball's so boring, or baseball is blah, blah, blah. And younger Kevin 100% agrees. But adult Kevin is like, <laughs> no, but my brothers and my family love it so much that I feel like I should defend it and there's so much more strategy to it than people realize and it's it's like a game of chess that also involves you know hitting the hitting balls and running and whatnot that's you know you have to put the right person in the right position and you always have to like uh the pit like uh work in the pitch count and uh you know uh uh, the catcher deciding which pitches that the pitcher should throw and stuff like that i feel like there's so much more of a, a thinking man's game to it than people realize the thing that always made me like really confused about baseball is when brawls would happen. You know? Yeah, and for like the various, it was like, oh, you broke an unwritten rule of baseball, you know, by you know uh, flipping your bat or, or after a home run and like or, or like stamping on home plate and, and being like. Mm. showing up the pitcher kind of yeah. thing, like sportsmanship like, rules. Yeah, it's like your next time up, you're going to get hit. Mm. And that's what's supposed to happen. <laughs> anyway, uh, but mm. the sacrifice bunt also is like my favorite part of baseball. Sacrifice bunt is a great is a great play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Gotta move the runners along. All right, gotta uh, move along. But in any case, so Eddie is talking to this British guy. Move right along. The so Eddie is talking to this British guy. Eddie's got the steel inside of him. Eddie w- is waiting for at least pretty good heroin to show up. So the guy goes out. He comes back with better heroin that was probably just sitting in his car because he was oh, okay. he was expect he was expecting just a uh, a dumb junkie. And meanwhile, Eddie comes in and he's got he's got a little bit more of a. Uh, what is that word? Um, integrity, Moxie? let's say. Moxie, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know so why in case. my head, Eddie Dean is Slash. Slash? Interesting. <laughs> huh. yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> like it, he's, he's in a rock band, and, and, and but he's like totally like, you can't tell his emotions and stuff. Because it's like... Because I think earlier they said he has black curly hair, right? Uh, I think so. I forget exactly how they described it. I know he has black hair, but I forget the, you know, cut or style. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, did Slash ever do heroin? I mean, I'm sure. Who knows? Could have. <laughs> could have. Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Amazing guitarist. Indeed, a legend of rock and roll, yes. Now he's uh, on all those Geico commercials. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you got to make that. Got to make that money any way you can. Got to make that money. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they turn calling him Balazar to the sallow thing at this point. No, no, uh, the sallow thing that? is the British guy. Oh, it's a Balaz- different guy. Different guy. Different guy entirely. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah. I see. I, I was confused by that. So that, that was somebody off to the side that was like getting the, the sallow thing, which is a great word. Sallow yeah. just means like gaunt, gaunt and or, pale, and I'm yeah. imagining like like a like a fish belly, like like sallow, like uh, for some reason. Oh, uh, because it rhymes with tallow. So I was thinking of like it reminds me of like a candle, sort of like drippy and kind of like waxy. Yeah. Mm. Definitely, but in any um, case, yeah, not a stuff. good person. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get our our next uh, pop culture reference. The next page where the guy goes back, comes back with the better heroin, and the guy says, uh, "That's it's it will not make you sick. That's China White. If that's China White, I'm Dwight Gooden." And he says, "Who? <laughs> oh, Never <yeah>. mind." <laughs> so then so now that, we go back to, to section seven. Section seven. Exactly. Um, and we have a little bit better really. of an idea of uh, when Eddie comes from, because he comes at the very least from uh, mid-80s Mets. So. <laughs> yes, Dwight Gooden, who also uh, fell victim to the, the cocaine, him and Daryl Strawberry. Which True, I found yeah. they, they actually weren't like pals. I, I thought they, but they just did their own things separately, kind of. Oh, really? Um, I assumed it was just sort of like a whole group thing going on in like the clubhouse that people were getting well, high together. Most of them weren't, to be honest. I mean, there there was a lot of drinking and carousing and whatnot. Sure, um, but then there's guys like Gary Carter who was like, you know, church boy. You know, was he really? Also, huh. also the name of my dog is Gary Carter. Indeed. Oh, there you go. So you you named your dog after the nice match. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, but they almost like resented him because he was nice and they're like oh, of course like, they did and have a good time and like why are you being so good all the time such a like, goody two shoes yeah well, he, was, he was in Montreal for years and that's a much different city oh, than, of course uh, New York <laughs> was he from Montreal or what did, did he, he just play, uh, the Montreal, play there he played played for the Montreal I suppose um, I think he's from California actually huh. okay um, I'm not sure, but I, I could be wrong about that. I'm just let's on. look it up on the fly. The cuff. I do know his birthday is April eighth. Mm-hmm. That is um, uh, the, the birthday I gave to Gary Carter, my dog. It's like nice. every year we will celebrate Gary Carter the dog and Gary Carter the catcher. <laughs> uh, he was from Culver City, California. You're correct. Yeah, there you go. Oh, um, he died in 2012. Uh, Palm Beach yeah, Gardens. He, he had uh, brain cancer. Oh, no. That's sad. I think I, did, did I tell you about that? Uh, we used to go up to Cooperstown every year for the inductions mm-hmm. for the Baseball Hall of Fame. And um, the, the year that he died, um, they're like, oh, we're going to have a moment of silence for Gary Carter. And during that moment of silence, which lasted like a minute, there was this strong gale force wind that like came through the whole like uh, hillside that we were on. And it was like, ooh, that was that was eerie. <laughs> that is cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, like that's a voice from the beyond. Gary Car- but Dwight Gooden is another um, Met who was amazing, but he unfortunately um, did too much coke. Um, mm. he still, he, like he made a good comeback. In I think he was on the '96 Yankees too, the team that won the World Series. Mm. Yeah, I always think of him as Doc Gooden. Yeah. Doc, yeah, Doctor K. 
<laughs> yeah. His curveball was nasty. Oh, really? Like, like 12 to 6, it would just drop. And then he'd also be throwing high 90s fastballs that were unhittable. Hmm. Yeah, Doc Gooden was a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> high leg kick. All right, anyway, moving on. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Too much so, baseball. But at the very least, we know for sure that Eddie comes from present day from when this book was published. So, uh, which would have been around 1986. So, let's see. So, they go on... Uh, yeah, on TV, the Braves were getting shellacked by the Mets. Uh, shellacked. Another great yeah. word. Uh, <laughs> shellacked. Uh, well, isn't that like a, a coating you put on wood or something? Yeah, so I why think does so. it mean to beat somebody... I think I've heard of that in in a sports context. He's getting the shellac. Oh, he's getting shellacked. Yeah, he's getting shellacked out there. But like, what? Why? Why is that word used for that? I'm imagining like a papers covers a paper covers rock situation where it's like he's getting beaten so bad he's surrounded and just utterly com- like uh, covered. Okay. Cool. That's my logic. My personal <laughs> idea. But in any case, so um, yeah, they go on. At the hotel. Aquinas Hotel. Uh, so, yada, yada, yada. Um, Eddie felt a, fin- a faint sensation of calm coming from, uh, which seemed to come from the back of his mind, except where it was really coming from, he knew, from what he had re- read in the medical journals, was from the bunch of living wires at the base of his spine, that place where heroin addiction takes place by causing an unnatural thickening of the nerve stem. Want to take a quick cure? He asked Henry once. Break your spine, Henry. Your legs stop working and so does your cock, but uh, you stop needing the needle right away. Henry hadn't thought it was funny. In truth, Eddie hadn't thought it was funny either. When the only fast way you could get rid of the monkey on your back was to snap your spinal cord above that bunch of nerves, you were dealing with one heavy monkey. That was no capuchin, no cute little organ grinder's mascot. That was a big, old, a big mean old baboon. So now we got baboon. that tarot card. So it goes back to, yeah, the tarot cards. The exactly. Monkey, and, the and he's got a baboon of a monkey on his back, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he began to sniffle. So, yeah. he. So <laughs> as soon as he takes the drugs, he's got the, the symptoms showing up. And then, you know, the guy, of course, does, tries to fa- save face. He's like, I have friends. They could come in here, do things, and blah, blah, blah. And then Eddie's like, not me, champ. Not this kid. He didn't know mm-hmm. how the smile looked, but... It must have looked it must not have looked all that cheery because the sallow thing vacated the presence, vacated them fast, vacated them without looking back. When Eddie Dean was sure he was gone, he cooked, fixed, slept. So basically, this is all Eddie has got that Roland smile too, that rictus grin that we were talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, what was that? Um, back in Toll at one point. Um, Roland is sitting there at the bar, and before we even knew him as Roland, he was just a gunslinger. Um, but somebody tried to, like, attack him, and he was like, sit down. Turn around. Yeah. Like, I, I, I know what you're doing, and you, you don't want to mess with me. And I feel like exactly. that's what Eddie is, too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He's seeing a lot he's of just, similarities. Exactly, yeah. Eddie has just got this steel, like, down his backbone that he knows what he's worth and he knows what he can do and everything. So, uh, so yeah, Eddie is... So, steel? Uh, is it S-T-E-A-L or S-T-E-E-L? E-E-L. Like, the, the metal. The metal, yeah. They say okay. it... Uh, to, to steal oneself. Exactly. To, like, okay, I got you. Uh, 
just making sure. <laughs> yeah, when um, they said so, uh, earlier on, uh, when they were talking about like why Eddie got sent, it was like um, there was deep steel in Eddie Dean, junkie or no junkie. That was it. Henry knew it, and more importantly, Bal- Balazar knew it. And Eddie would have done this uh, stone cold. So- sto- blah. Eddie would have done this stone cold sober for Henry. Balazar hadn't gotten that quite quite that far in his figuring, but fuck Balazar. So basically, it's just Eddie has this deep steel, and he would do this for Henry, but he wouldn't do it for Balazar. So everybody thinks that Eddie's doing it for the drugs, but what he's really doing it for is Henry. Mm. So uh-huh. that's the whole so point. Eddie is a tragic character. Is, is oh, totally, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, yeah, as well he, as Roland. I would say so, in some like, aspects. Tra- hero? Like, like Macbeth kind of thing? Um, it's hard to so- say. I mean, it almost feels like with Roland, he his tragedy is that he has, like, basically, he's given his entire life to finding this goal, which is the Dark Tower. And so he is... He has this sort of like romantic hero ideation of this is the, the the pilgrimage that I have to go on. This is the purpose of my existence and my life to go to the Dark Tower and to kind of figure out what's going on here and finally get to this magical place. Uh, and I guess the tragedy is just all the things that he's willing to sac- sacrifice along the way, including our buddy Jake. So mm. I feel like that's where... I guess his choices make him tragic, I guess. So it's it's a little bit less of a tragedy of environment and more of a tragedy of his conscience, I guess. Yeah, I think that's true for, gosh, uh, all of us. Like, not just in mm-hmm. books and stuff. It's our choices that, that make us who we are. Very um, true. And in some ways that's good, and some ways that's bad for, like, other people. Um like I, was, I, I was thinking about um, drug addicts in, mm-hmm. in general, like, like, and that some of them go down that road because it's just like, I'm meant to do this. And some of them just take a wrong turn at some point and exactly like, why, why am I doing this? You know? So, um, yeah, addiction's a tough thing. Uh, totally. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so when I said he cooked... Uh, that meant he was actually, you know, the spoon and the... Exactly, with the spoon yeah, and the yeah, lighter yeah. and then uh, injecting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just as they as they showed in Pulp Fiction, which actually also heroin, so yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Requiem for a Dream, that's a... Another one, yeah. Uh, uh, the perils oh. of uh, heroin ex- uh, addiction, yeah, exactly. Or, uh, or what's it, uh, Train Spotting. That's, that's train Spotting, one. yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of '90s movies about uh, how bad heroin is for you. So it must have been a big resurgence of heroin in the '80s and '90s. Yeah. Well, now it's just now it's uh, what's it called? Fentanyl. Fentanyl. And that's just terrible. Oh yeah, that'll you, mess with you. Well, it, it, it could freaking kill you if you take the wrong dosage. It's pretty awful. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. Anyway, let, let's anyway. start moving. Let's start moving let's, faster. Let's move it along. But <laughs> just keep in the back of your mind. I mean, as they've been showing us, just sort of addiction is this theme for this uh, this whole story. But uh, yeah, so he was sleeping now. Okay, so 
the gunslinger somehow inside this man's mind, a man so whose mind changing, is exactly changing, changing points, points of view. Of view. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. So now we're in the gunslinger. And it's almost sort of like a soft change of point of view because Eddie is sort of like at the beginning of this section, he was saying like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. It doesn't make sense. And then he starts just sort of like thinking back on this thing that happened. And you realize that what we thought was a flashback is actually a dream that Eddie's having that Roland is Mm. watching that. So uh, and so we're getting Roland's point of view then on what Eddie just uh, remembered. So, the gunslinger... Uh, Let me yeah. do this one. You did the last one, right? Uh, <clears throat> the gunslinger somehow inside the man's mind. A man whose name he still did not know. The loneling the prisoner thought of as the sallow thing... Oh, loneling, I get it. The loneling the prisoner thought of as the sallow thing had not known it, and so had never spoken it. Watched this as he had once watched please as a child before the world had moved on. Or so he thought he watched, because plays were all he had ever seen. If he had ever seen a moving picture, he would have thought of that first. The things he did not actually see, he had been able to pluck from the prisoner's mind because the associations were close. It was odd about the name, though. He knew the name of the prisoner's brother, but not the name of the man himself. But of course, names were secret things, full of power, and neither of the things that mattered was the man's name. One was the weakness of the addiction. The other was the steel buried inside that weakness, like a good gun sinking in quicksand. This man reminding the gunslinger achingly of Cuthbert. Someone was coming. The prisoner, sleeping, did not hear. The gunslinger, not sleeping, did, and came forward again. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So that was all of Section (laughs) 8. Exactly. Very short section. Um... So, for Roland, who at this point is now being referred to as the gunslinger again, right? Um, he, Eddie Dean's reminding him of Cuthbert. Exactly. Is that what's yeah. Going on? Cool. Yeah. All right. So it, it we'll see a little bit later uh, when they start to interact, but I feel like just the kind of like pop culture references and the kind of the jokes that Eddie makes, sort of offhandedly, and what he was saying. Uh, yeah, if, if that's China White, I'm Doc Gooden. Uh, and then um, just sort of like, I feel like whereas Roland wouldn't have said anything extra to this guy, you just would have been like, no, this is bad. Don't do this. Like, Eddie is like giving little wisecracks and he's like, uh, yeah, uh, off to so, the side. Okay. Yeah. It, going back to. You want to die? You got to get yeah. Death Wish. <laughs> the gunslinger is, uh, you know, on the spectrum. Um, Eddie Dean is like ADHD. Not well, or that. Oh, actually, <laughs> I just thought he was more of like more with it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, neurotypical. And, 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 R- R- Roland, yeah, like, Roland's more neuro- neurodivergent in the fact that like he's like I don't need to like placate my my people around me. You know, mm. this is what it is, and leave me alone. And Eddie's like, hey, he's a little more smooth. He's, he's, yeah. hey, I, I played the guitar. I'm in band. Yeah, Eddie's got jokes. Eddie's got wisecracks. Yeah. 
Okay, I, I like Eddie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I and feel like, like I've known a hundred Eddies in my life. A hundred percent. Yeah, I feel like Eddie is kind of like almost the antidote for if people are like, "Oh, Roland is too serious. Roland is, you know, he's too deadpan." Whereas he's like Stephen King's like, "Okay, here's this new guy, Eddie, who's going to be exactly what you want." <laughs> in okay, some ways, wait. now now I just thought of something else. It, oh, is this like it. multiple personalities happening, or like like schizophrenia kind of? Or you think is Roland is Eddie? moving? That's what I'm thinking. Is Roland uh-huh. Eddie, and like this is just a. Um, a different embodiments of him. I don't know. Oof. Oh Ooh, like in a multiverse kind of way? But not really. Like, uh-huh. in a... I don't know. Well, it's definitely a multiverse. We, we've been talking about that. Very like, true. There are portals there are from place to place. Yeah. These, other worlds know? than these, thousand percent. Yeah, the... the, the hole dwellers or something? The, uh, yeah, the, the, the Manny. Yeah, the Manny. The Holy Manny. Mm. Um, okay. We'll come back to that at some point. I'm just thinking about, like, how's this going? All right. Um, Kev, we All have right. another point of view in Section 9. Exactly. So uh, I feel like I love this because uh, Stephen King is just like he keeps popping off like new uh, characters as he's going because (laughs) throughout all of the gunslinger, it's just Roland and Jake and that's it. And the two of them and their I don't even think we technically we only see Jake's point of view when Roland sort of hypnotizes him. Exactly. So I think that's why the gunslinger is just called the whole book is the gunslinger because it's from the gunslinger's point of view. Exactly. The drawing of the three were drawing out the um, points of view, like uh, the characters that we'll find. Yeah. Interesting. Precisely. Who the the heck is Gene? So, great, Gene (laughs) thought. He tells me how hungry he is, and I fix fix something up for him because he's a little bit cute, and then he falls asleep on me. Then the passenger, a guy of about 20, tall, wearing clean, slightly faded blue jeans and a paisley shirt, opened his eyes a little and smiled at her. Thank you, Sai, he said. Or so it sounded. Almost for, almost archaic or foreign. Sleep talk, that's all, Jane thought. You're welcome. She smiled her best stewardess smile, sure that he would fall asleep again and the sandwich would still be there, uneaten, when it was time for the actual meal service. Well, that was what they thought you'd expect, wasn't it? She went back to the galley to catch a smoke. So now we've also fully established that this is bu- when you could smoke on planes as well. And <laughs> that was what I thought too. I was like, man, that must have been terrible. Like terrible. Even like as a smoker, like I was like, I, w- I don't want to be in an enclosed box that's just got smoke everywhere. I'm just imagining <laughs> those planes. Like, uh, but by the time they've been flying for you know a few dozen trips, the all of the white on the side has got to be starting to yellow. All of the uh, uh. all the passengers are just sort of like coughing as they get off the plane it's got to be so gross Ugh. all right but let's go back to the most important Indeed. part of this most important part of the book uh the stewardess then is the noticing passenger, a guy of about 20 tall wearing slightly faded blue jeans and a paisley shirt i'm like wait is that roland like is he there now uh no I think he's uh, sigh. he says sigh kevin which because is like it's roland through eddie's mouth Oh, so, so this is Eddie that she's talking about. Okay, well, I, but the I'm thing just is, trying to figure this out. Is there going to be like an embodiment of Roland in present day? Well, think of it this way. So, Roland walks through the door and his mind enters Eddie's body. 
Eddie mm. can, uh, when he's in the back of Eddie's mind, Eddie has no idea anything's going on. When he's sort of mid-range, then Eddie is aware, and but Eddie is still controlling his own body. When he comes all the way to the front, Roland is speaking through Eddie's mouth. And okay. then... And then yeah. Roland can, you know, manipulate Eddie's arms or whatever and say, thank you, Sai, to this woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so then... Tutorfish, a popkin. Tutorfish popkin, exactly. <laughs> so she struck a match, lit it at, lit, lifted it halfway to the cigarette, and there it stopped unnoticed because that wasn't all they taught you to expect. I thought he was a little bit cute, mostly because of his eyes, his hazel eyes. But when the man in 3A had opened his eyes a moment ago, they hadn't been hazel. They had been blue. Not sweet, sexy blue like Paul Blumen's eye, Paul Newman's eyes either, but the color of icebergs. And then the match reaches her fingers and it uh, breaks off her train of thought. <laughs> so, Jean, I love... Paula yeah. asks, you alright? Fine, daydreaming. <laughs> Paula, so we also meet another character. Another stewardess, yeah. Flight attendant well, in modern parlance, but uh, well, stewardess in the eighties, yes. The stew. <laughs> I think they said that at some point. I, I think like, so. Oh, yeah, we don't talk like that or smoke on planes anymore. And very so. true. Well, this book is very indicative pants. of the mid eighties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just love that. That's a a storytelling trick that Stephen King uses of uh, when someone is sort of in their train of thought and she's thinking, 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 and then all of a sudden, out, and the match reached her fingers, she shook it out, and then she talks to somebody else. And that's so, like, uh, that's very much like what people do in real life. They'll be thinking about something, then something will break their train of thought, and then they'll look at something else, and they'll start talking totally. to somebody else. And yeah, exactly. Uh, oh. I think we talked about the double dash, isn't that? Is double, that dash, double dash, yeah. yeah. They, out. Like it's like oh I was thinking about something and then I didn't finish that thought and I mm. think that comes up later at some point. Uh, I think I think there's one point or maybe it already happened um, where the same thing happened with Eddie. Um, he was talking about something and then like boom his train of thought was changed. We're like wait what were you going to say? So like yeah. as the reader you're like you're more invested in the story because you're like oh they just stopped talking and I wanted to hear what they had to say. Exactly. Yeah, it's keeping you on the hook. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like when you get a song stuck in your head because you'll be back. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, like when you get a song stuck in your head because you only hear a small part of it. It's because your brain is trying to finish off the the melody or the the the, the idea of the song. Yeah. <laughs> so she lit another match, and, and she was thinking about um, basically. He's wearing contacts in his eyes. That month. that's got to be why. Yeah, right? you know that seems colored. Yeah, that's the first lenses. explanation she thinks of. Yeah. yeah. Jay Doring personally knew over two dozen people who wore contacts. Most of them worked for the airline. No one ever said anything about it, but she thought maybe one reason was they all sensed the passengers didn't like to see flight personnel wearing glasses. It made them nervous. Of all those people, she knew maybe four who had colored contacts. Ordinary contact lenses were expensive. Colored ones cost the earth. All the people of Jane's acquaintance who cared to lay out that sort of money were women. All of them extremely vain. So what? Guys can be vain too. Why not? He's good looking. No, he wasn't. Cute, maybe. But that was as far as it went. And with the pallid complexion, he only made it to cute by the skin of his teeth. So why the colored contacts? Um, airline passengers are often afraid of flying. 
In a world where hijacking and drug smuggling have become facts of life, airline personnel are often afraid of passengers. The voice that had initiated these thoughts had been that of an instructor of flight school, a tough old battle axe who looked as if she could have flown the mail with Wiley Post, saying, I'm going to stop right there before we go on to that next part. Um, actually, the next part's the best part. <laughs> True. Um, so I had so to look up, because I have no idea who Wiley, Wiley Post, Post is. Yeah. Oh, uh, hey. I, I didn't look okay. it up, but I think I know who he is. This All right, is a go good for it. question. I meant to look it up. I was like, oh, is not that the guy who did a thing? Um, um, mm, he's a fly the mail from like place to place in like a little biplane. I don't know. You tell me, Kevin. I, uh, yes, he was a famed American aviator during the interwar period between World War One and World War Two, and uh, he was the first. Pilot. He was the first pilot to fly solo around the world, and oh, also known it. also known for his work in high altitude flying. Developed mm. one of the first pressure suits and de- and discovered the jet stream. Oh so, yeah, That's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Yeah, Wiley Post. Yeah, I guess with the name Post, I thought it had something to do with mail, but no. That's it. He flew around the world. Indeed, <laughs> uh, he was born eighteen ninety eight. Yeah, died 1935 at 36 years old of an avi- aviation accident. Oh, Which, well, that you know, figures. When you're yeah. experimenting that much with high altitude flying and flying around the world, yeah, you're you're living a high risk lifestyle. Oh gosh, I, yeah, I didn't realize it's past, uh, but it makes sense. It's Indeed. Like, oh. <laughs> I'm going to try to do these things. What happens if it doesn't work? Oh, I'll die. Oh, I die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because we didn't know to pressurize airplanes yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, what years did you say? It was like World War One era. Uh, between yeah. World War One like and World 20s War Two. Twenties and thirties. Okay. Yeah, twenties so and thirties. Yeah. Charles Lindbergh. I think huh. so. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Why the post? Let's see. Charles Lindbergh. Uh, he was the first nonstop flight from New York City to Paris. In 27. So I guess Charles Lindbergh, he was flying, he, he didn't fly all the way around the world solo. Yeah, he just went across the Atlantic. And so did mm. Amelia Earhart, too. Also but true. Wiley Post went around the whole world. The whole planet, yeah. Nonstop? It can't be nonstop. I feel like he, he must have, like, stopped for fuel and then just got right back up in the air. Yeah. Huh. Or that's what you're saying. You discovered the jet stream. So if you can just like true glide in a certain yeah, if that's you get into the jet streams and mm-hmm. exactly you just kind of go up and down with these like swooping motions, you can conserve a lot of fuel. Precisely. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. So uh, the uh, instructor. This is the instructor's voice, right? In italics yeah. here. Do you want to read it? Yeah, I'll go for it. Don't ignore your suspicions. If you forget everything else you've learned about coping with potential or actual terrorists, remember this. Don't ignore your suspicions. In some cases, you'll get a crew who will say during the debriefing that they didn't have any idea until the guy pulled out a grenade and said, hang a left at Cuba, or anyone else on the aircraft is going to join the jet stream. There we go. But in most cases, you get two or three different people, mostly flight attendants, who, which you women will be in less than a month, who say they felt something, some little tickle, a sense that the guy in 91C or the young woman in 5A was a little wrong. They felt something, but they did nothing. 
Did they get fired for that? Christ, no. You can't put a guy in restraints just because you don't like the way he scratches his pimples. The real problem is they felt something and then forgot. The old battle-axe had raised one blunt finger. Jane Dorning, along with her fellow classmates, had listened raptly as she said, If you feel that little tickle, don't do anything. But that includes not forgetting. Because there's always that one little chance that you just might be able to stop something before it gets started. Something like an unscheduled 12-day layover on the tarmac of some shitpot Arab country. Just colored contacts, but... Thank you, Sai. Sleep talk? Or a muddled lap lapse into some other language? She would watch, Jane decided, and she would not forget. So, definitely, this oh, is... Yeah. This is the whole moment in a, a whole a, a thing, section. yeah. Like you say, like, oh my gosh. Like, Ooh, I feel like I this is just such... going back and forth. Mm. <laughs> and there's such, like, great short characterization of this this uh, flight instructor who is basically this woman's court. Uh, court, and, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, with the blunt finger and the old battle axe, like, such reminiscences of court, totally. Uh-huh. You need to see everything around you and, and mm-hmm. beware at all times. Constant vigilance, exactly. Sad. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well. And, and well, Roland had said that in like the previous chapter, right? Um, uh, yeah, I think so. To, to see the outside of things, not just what the thing is. So, like, exactly, that's what this is uh, reminiscing. Precisely, yeah. Don't just react based on something that makes you feel a certain way. Just see everything that your eyes are looking at, and then make a judgment after you've had some time to think about it. Because mm-hmm. that was when Roland, like, opened the door, saw just the, you know, uh, Eddie looking out the window from his airplane at, at the, the sky from above. Yeah. Uh, the earth from, like, never seen. yeah, the earth from seven miles high. So, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. But in any case. So, yeah. So now we've microcosm got. Microcosm and macrocosm, right? <laughs> um But wait, I have a question. As I was reading this, because I only got to the end of um, chapter two. Go for it. One page away. Um, is, does does Jane matter, or is it, are we just getting someone's point of view just to get someone else's point of view, or is Jane like a? a I, I guess we'll see. We will <laughs> see. I mean, basically, in the Eddie Dean narrative, he went to Nassau County in is that the Virgin Islands or where is that? Uh, Bahamas. Bahamas? Okay. So yeah. he went to the Bahamas. He, he mentions that earlier. Uh, right, Bahamas. right, right. Yeah. So he went to the Bahamas, uh, picked up a whole bunch of cocaine. He's got it strapped under his armpits, and that's why he's wearing sort of a, a frilly uh, Hawaiian shirt or something. And, Paisley uh, shirt. Paisley shirt. And <laughs> that's sort of like, you know... Uh, more less form-fitting and so he's going he's trying to sneak past the borders and now he has a flight attendant who knows there's something weird about him so okay. i think it's a little bit of foreshadowing a little bit of uh uh suspense like, uh, this guy's got something going on here uh, i'm gonna so keep now, an eye on so, this guy yeah you gotta keep an eye oh, we'd love to keep an eye on this guy right mm. here all right let's we can do this <clears throat> section 10 now the gunslinger saw it. Now we'll see, won't we? He had been able to come from his world into this body through the door on the beach. What he needed to find out was whether or not he could carry things back. Oh, not himself. He was confident that he could return through the door and re-enter his own poison-sickening body at any time he should desire. 
but other things, physical things. Here, for instance, in front of him was food, something the woman in the uniform had called a tutor fish sandwich. The gunslinger had no idea what tutor fish was, but he knew a popkin when he saw it. Although this one looked curiously uncooked, his body needed to eat, and his body would need to drink. More than either, his body needed some sort of medicine. It would die from the lobstrosity's bite without it. There might be such medicine in this world, in a world where carriages rode through the air above where even the strongest eagle could fly. Anything seemed possible. But it would not matter how much powerful medicine, medicine there was here if you could carry nothing physical through the door. Um, I don't want to read this whole thing. Yeah, sure. I would love <laughs> You could live in this body, gunslinger. The voice of the man in black whispered deep inside his head, leave that place of breathing meat over there for the lobster things. It's only a husk anyway. He would not do that. For one thing, it would be the most murderous sort of thievery because he would not be content to just to be just a passenger for long. Looking out of this man's eyes like a traveler looking out of a coach window at the passing scenery. For another, he was Roland. And this is the first time I think they come back to Roland instead of the gunslinger in this uh, section. In this section, definitely, he, he, yeah. He became the gunslinger, and now he's back to Roland. <clears throat> For another, he was Roland. If dying was required, he intended to die as Roland. He would die crawling toward the tower if that was what was required. Then the odd, harsh practicality that lived beside the romantic in his nature like a tiger with a row reasserted itself. Ooh. <laughs> there was no need to think of dying with the experiment not yet made. He picked up the popkin. It had been cut in two halves. He held one in each hand. He opened the prisoner's eyes and looked out of them. No one was looking at him, although in the galley, Jane Dorning was thinking about him. And very hard. Roland turned toward the door and went through, holding the popkin halves in his hands. Mm. <laughs> oh, it, it, he's very scientific about finishing the experiment. Very much so, <laughs> yeah. The great fun. Like, I feel like that's the whole point of Roland, really, is that he he has all these feelings of, like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And, like, well, I have this option that I could just go into this guy's body and just live there. But he he has this integrity that he's like, no, I will die as Roland. I will die crawling to the tower if I must. And so <laughs> it's very much his own his own brand of steel, I should say. Uh where Roland's line is, I guess, and him being like, no, okay, so I know that there are these distractions, there are these things going on, but I need to figure out if I can bring food from Eddie's world into my world. So, and yeah. now he does so. He's just trying it out. It's like, just trying to see it if out. this works. Oh, hmm. this works. Okay, so what if I tried this? What if I tried this, you know? Hmm. Little by little, figuring out how to enter the store and come back to his and I love that the man in black came out there and exactly. it was just like he wants him to, to and he was like oh he's, wait a minute no no yeah no. he's the he's the devil on his shoulder he's always just mm -hmm. whispering bad ideas into Roland's head yeah hey what if he just possessed this guy forever that'd be cool <laughs> and Roland's like no I, I, no I that's horrible body. I need to yeah. keep going for the tower in this world exactly I could enter this world and get the medicine that's needed that's mm. really the thing. It's, he's got major, like, staff infection or something going on. Yeah, <laughs> There's something going on, yeah. The, the, 
whatever this like the the bite of the lobstrosity was uh, whether it's like specifically poison or whether it was just uh some sort of uh infection and there was it wasn't like clean on his like his bloody fingers who knows but in any case it was yeah. he is he in bad shape yeah he wrapped it yeah, with a t-shirt that he's been wearing it this whole time oh, exactly his sweaty like dangerous. from his shirt exactly yeah now yeah that's he's gonna lose the whole hand if he doesn't do something if he doesn't do it quick yeah that's for sure so and also i just wanted to point out that i think a popkin is a little bit closer to a panini i guess if it has to be cooked so um, i was wondering that did you look up popkin is that a word in our world i don't think it's a real word i think stephen king made it up yeah yeah it's popkin yeah it's popkin So first he heard the oh, grinding I roar. Now I'm hungry. Ooh, I could go for one too. Yeah, a nice Cuban <laughs> sandwich that'd be delicious. Oh yeah, that would be great. I think they oh. talked about making a left at Cuba at one point. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I could uh, go for some pickles and two kinds of ham. That'd be delicious right now. Mm. Uh, but in any case, yes. so first happening? he heard. I know, yeah. I know the exact place to go. Sorry, <laughs> as do I. <laughs> First, he heard the grinding roar of an incoming wave. Section 11. Ne- Section 11. Next, he heard the argument of many seabirds arising from the closest rocks as he struggled to a sitting position. Cowardly buggards were creeping up, he thought. They would have been taking pecks out of me soon enough. Still breathing or no, they're nothing but vultures with a coat of paint. Then he became aware that one popkin in half, the one in his right hand, had tumbled onto the hard gray sand because he had been holding it with a whole hand when he came through the door and now was or had been holding it in a hand that suffered a 40% reduction. So basically the uh he uh what is it pulls the two pulls the sandwiches into his world gobbles them down as fast as he can he had no idea what tutor fish was only that it was delicious that seemed enough so <laughs> yeah so uh, wait i i got stuck at 40 percent reduction as i was reading yeah. that section. <laughs> i was like yes math math <laughs> Lo- love you mom <laughs> love you mom exactly <laughs> But yeah, and two fingers away leaves you with three fifths. Correct. Uh, two out of five. Yeah. Two, two out of five is forty percent. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, then uh, so basically, it's interesting that so Roland. I'm just trying to imagine this as visually as I can. So Roland walks into the door, and his body just sort of crumbles as his soul continues walking through. But then when he comes back with the stuff in it, he sort of reawakens in his body. But the sandwiches that he had been holding in his hands appear in his hands that he was holding, like that were crumpled to the ground. So yeah, I'm, I'm still thinking of the rules of this universe. So. I feel like that's kind of <laughs> so the whole point of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's the whole point of these sections. It's, it's establishing these rules of what exactly is going on and how this mm-hmm. works. And that's why I wanted to be a little bit more specific there just to kind of uh, put it all, uh, make it all a little bit more specific. So, so instead now, of being at the door, he went from, he w- went into his body with the food. Correct, yeah. Which is, like, physical thing that he brought back. Okay. Mm. So, almost in some way, it's sort of like astral projection, kind of, as the... But it's interesting that, like, his soul, like, pulls the, the sandwich out, and the sandwich just reappears in his physical hands again, that yeah. were sort of, like, lying unconscious on the sand. Yeah. He was basically dead. Yeah. But now he's, like, giving... I need food, I need drink. 
Exactly. Yeah. Roland is attending to his physical body. That mm-hmm. the man in black is like, yeah, just give it up. It's just a husk after all. And Roland is like, no, I am me. And my through <laughs> my blood runs the uh, the blood of King Arthur of Eld and all that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, last thing. I love this. I can't wait to keep reading. <laughs> to, to, Indeed. Just a peek behind the curtain. It's been like two weeks since Kevin and I have uh, recorded together, and I was like, oh my gosh. I, I was true. Uh, judging, Trips judging and birthdays a got in the way. hair competition in Vancouver. Nice. And anyway, who won? I, everybody won. <laughs> you know they all won? had a good time. The, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, there was not that many people there. So, some categories had like one person in them. Oh, like okay. the natural mustache category. I was like, I could pull five guys off the street to be in this. And it was just one dude, and he won. With a mustache? One dude <laughs> in the styled mustache category. I was like, ah, I, I could take you on, but I got a beard. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> but the point is, the, the charity one. It was called uh, Heads Up. Oh, nice. It's for uh, men's mental health. Nice. Um, so, yeah. It was pretty cool. Uh, I, the guy, one of the judges, was the, like, the head of the organization. He was sitting right next to me. He's like, oh, I've never judged one of these before. I was like, you're sitting next to the right guy. We'll, we'll figure this out together. It'll be. Okay. I've been on both sides of the judging fun? table. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a lot of fun. It's nice. silly. Well, always good to highlight charities. The that's always uh, you know something nice to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good time. Anyway, let's go back into Jean's point of view. Mm. The end of well, these chapters. For a second, we well, did, we did actually you want have... to say one more thing? No, no, no. Uh, for the, the the first paragraph is almost in the omniscient point of view, actually, before we get back into James. Ooh, so now we're into third-person omniscience. That's exactly. the word I was looking for, not objective. Yeah. We, yeah, we're seeing what nobody else sees. Uh, in the plane, no one saw this tuna fish sandwich disappear. No one saw Eddie's hands grasped the two halves of it tightly enough to make deep thumb indentations in the white bread. No one saw the sandwich fade to transparency, then disappear, leaving only a few crumbs. So, at this point, like, Roland has already gone to his side. Jane's not seeing it. Eddie is unconscious. So, at this point, this we're seeing what... Yeah, this is yeah, the, like, the surveillance uh, camera point of view. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to say it. Omniscience. Yeah. Omniscience, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah, gosh. if you want to finish this off. Sure. Um... About 20 seconds after this had happened, Jane Dorning snuffed her cigarette and crossed the head of the cabin. She got her book from her tote bag, but what she really wanted was another look at 3A. He appeared to be deeply asleep. But the sandwich was gone. Jesus, Jane thought. He didn't eat it. He swallowed it whole. And now he's asleep again? Are you kidding? Whatever was tickling at her about 3A, Mr. Now They're Hazel, Now They're Blue, Kept right on tickling. Something about him was not right. Something. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Mr. Now they're hazel, now they're blue. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> exactly, good. yeah. Basically, he, uh, because of Roland and this whole situation, Eddie has done the worst possible thing that a, a drug smuggler can do, which is get on somebody's radar. And mm. now, now... Something. Exactly. Now this... Uh, a stewardess or flight attendant or whatever you want to call them. Uh, she is, she's got her sights set on Eddie and she is ready to be aware of whatever might happen to go wrong in, in this flight. Hmm. Well, I, I'm feeling where it's going next is Eddie's going to get caught. 
We will see. We will see. I mean, it's called The Prisoner, so... <laughs> oh, you think I he's guess, going to jail? I think he's going to jail, yeah. That's, that's where my mind's going. I mean, that's what he's nervous about. Or it is, it is. Is The Prisoner the fact that, like... <laughs> He's a prisoner in like Roland's mind or something that like he's being taken over. Uh, Could be. Mm. Ooh. Uh, so uh, today's Nix predicts the, uh, the the prisoner is in fact Eddie will become a prisoner. He is not a prisoner yet. Uh, or maybe he's a, he's a prisoner of heroin. That's like, he's definitely a prisoner of heroin. True, but we don't there's, know. There's Stephen King loves his wordplay. He loves yeah, his double uh, yeah double meanings gonna... exactly. So we is will see. Double meaning. Though? I think double entendre is more in a sexual connotation. Is, is it sexual? Okay, this is not what I'm, double meaning. Double meanings. Using yeah, the same word to, to mean two different things. Homo, yeah. Homophones, homonyms, homograms, homographs. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I forget what the specific definitions of them. Yeah, <laughs> or Matt. Matt would know this. Okay, the so homophone is like new. Like I have a new bike and new. Like I knew that. So that's so it's not a homophone. Uh, Look up eponym. Is that is that a word? Eponym. Uh, I think that's when. Nah, that's probably not. A person after whom a discovery, invention, plane, etc. is named. That's uh, definitely not yeah. right. <laughs> I was talking to the kids about that. We were talking about Newton's three laws. I was like, imagine having a unit of measurement named after you. Mm. <laughs> a unit of force is called a Newton. Exactly. This is when you do something awesome, it's called an Ackerman. <laughs> we have finally quantified the awesome <laughs> it is one Ackerman long <laughs> one Ackerman of awesome is you've done great I love it <laughs> that was point anyway. three Ackermans that was okay it was kind of awesome but just, it was almost yeah, awesome yeah. but <laughs> but that was like points or negative Ackermans is that negative Ackermans is when you you deflect <laughs> awesomeness from occurring <laughs> That was negative you 15 acronyms. You, you made a good time bad. It's you made a good time acronyms. so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Uh, I'm going to use this from now on. <laughs> yeah, acronyms. <laughs> 15 acronyms of awesome at that, that party. It was too I, much. <laughs> well, I've also thought of just calling it a Nick. And I was like, eh, Ackerman is better. Is that it's true. Inclusive to the family. but. <laughs> Nix is easier to I've, say, though. Five I've done this for years. I'm like, oh, this is too many Nicks. We, oh, we need no. to calm it down by like 20% <laughs> Nick. Mm. <laughs> or Maximum <increase>. Derek. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> to quote the good place. <laughs> yes, great show. Great show. Uh, mm. All right, Particularly so, for us who think so much about being good people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I go to so, that yes. Place. That's kind of what this book is about, I feel like. In a way, In ways, I would say so. Like we would talk about purgatory and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's a purgatorial waste. Mm. <laughs> True. Interesting. Well, mm. we'll see. So next week, let's see. What should we next read up week, to? We'll be starting chapter three, contact and landing, which exactly. I'm not reading yet. I will. Read I say. I think we can read up to section the end of section six. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, that seems like it makes sense. It might be a little bit longer than this one, but section six itself is really short. So I feel like uh, read up until the end of that one. Um, yeah, well, we're keeping the episodes a little shorter these days. Exactly. Yeah, we're. It's a little bit uh, easier to digest. It's more of an amuse bouche. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what's been going on this whole time. This has been appetizer for the um, what's to come, I feel like. Exactly. Yeah, it's we're, like, we're we setting need to the table. Learn the rules and, like, yeah, we're setting the table where this is what salt tastes like. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Here's a door. When you walk through the door, this happens. When you walk back through the door and you're holding something, this other thing happens. Once you're through the door, you can do this, and there's different levels to how much you're possessing this person. So, definitely, yeah. uh, Roland has learned a lot in this uh, the Eddie Dean chapter. So, now. When we get yeah, to I, the next I feel chapter, like you're, yeah. You're doing a good job of not telling me what's coming next. You're like, oh, good. We shall see. <laughs> yes, I've been <laughs> a lot more you careful. Say, we shall see. I'm like, I'm on to something. <laughs> I've been a lot more careful this time around than I was uh, for the gunslinger. So I'm, uh, I'm glad that I'm uh, not revealing too much. Nice. I, I, it, this is great. I love reading a book with you. It's so oh, love it. It's true. I can't, uh, I'm, I'm so excited to see wh- uh, how things turn out and where it goes from here and how you feel about it. Yeah, so totally cool. All right, so yeah, we'll go to section six next time. Um, Kevin, if people wanted to see us, where where would they go? Uh, well, let's see. You can definitely find us at Chapter Brothers on Facebook, and also you can find uh, Chapter Brothers on YouTube. We right now all we have is uh, just that little preview for what the show is, was going to originally be. But hey, maybe <laughs> one day we'll start we'll start uh, doing some of our plans. Like uh, we thought of trimming down, uh, taking some of the outtakes that uh, we've had to take out of various episodes because they're not really relevant. But <laughs> certain times we've talked about baseball for way too long, such, such as. This like uh, episode, yeah, <laughs> and hey, maybe we'll uh, start uploading, uh, uh, you know, our outtakes to YouTube, and uh, you can find more about that there. And uh, if you want to find everything about us, you can go to chapterbrothers.com. And uh, you can also find our podcast. If you want to recommend us to all of your friends, you can find us wherever uh, your fine podcasts are uh, located, uh, whether it's Spotify or Apple Music or. Uh, I think there's a Google one. What is that one called? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Google something. Uh, uh, Stitcher? Is that still a thing? Stitcher. Yeah, Stitcher. Yeah. That counts. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I, I think the Google Podcast or something. I don't know. Google. Yeah, who knows? You, it, if you, you can find are it. hearing this, then you found us. Correct. <laughs> Ooh, we are speaking to people who already know about us. What's mm. the point? <laughs> We're preaching to the choir, yes. as they say. Yeah, we, we need to do a better job of marketing, I guess. Well, I mean, I feel so. like the whole the whole point of the podcast is really just to me and you to just interact. To to you. And then I, I really don't care if anyone listens at all. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we're happy that you are. Yes, we are happy. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, until next week, Kevin, long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. I love you, brother. I love you, too. Bye-bye.